As he was drawing near, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in, hev- peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Luke chapter 19, verses 37 through 38. And Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. Luke chapter 23, verses 20 through 21, and verse 24. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Please be seated. Today is Palm Sunday, the day when we hear the account of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, when people line the street to proclaim him as the coming king who would usher in the new kingdom of David. We also hear the account of Jesus' trial, mocking, torture, crucifixion, and death. Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday are my two favorite days of the liturgical year for very different reasons. Palm Sunday for its strange counterpoints and glimpse at the heaviness of the services in the upcoming week. And Easter, whether the vigil or Sunday morning, is the reminder and assurance of the ultimate triumph of God over death, as well as all physical or spiritual darkness and oppression. With Palm Sunday, we enjoy our last feast day before the heaviness of Holy Week, which is also known in old, older calendars as Passion Tide. Palm Sunday has always had the feeling to me like coming upon the last few feet of level ground before a precipice. Today is in some ways like every other Sunday, when we celebrate the resurrection and triumph of our Savior over death and the powers of hell. But in other ways, it is very different. No other Sunday has a start from outside, well, would if weather permitted, um, start outside the church and march in. And today's is the longest gospel reading of the lection. Today, with the succeeding days and Holy Week, starts our movement closer and closer to the cliff of Good Friday. We have heard two gospel readings today one ending in the way our human sensibilities expect of a story about a God coming among his chosen people. The second reading ends in a cliffhanger. So in some ways, the cliff I spoke of a minute ago is here and now. And Holy Week is us just hanging on to the edge until someone pulls us up. I have titled today's sermon, Blessed is the King, Crucify Him. This captures the strange and unsettling juxtaposition that we are faced with in today's gospel readings and the arrangement of the Palm Sunday liturgy. One of the thematic features of today's liturgy is the uncomfortable intimation that at least some of the same crowd that was moved to proclaim, blessed is the king, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, were equally stirred up to denounce him and call for his execution shouting, crucify, crucify him, mere days later. As we have done today, it is not uncommon for the people to play the part of the crowd in both gospel readings and say Hosanna during the Liturgy of the Palms before the processional 
and also crucify him in the gospel during the Eucharistic liturgy. This is done to drive home to everyone in the congregation that there is none who is innocent in the death of Jesus, save for the Godhead. One of the gifts of Palm Sunday is that it robs us of our ability to stand aloof in innocence and just watch the events unfold. I used to struggle against personal pride when I read the accounts of our Lord's Passion, especially the crowd being stirred up against Jesus. How could these people be so blind to the fact that they were playing into the hands of those whose only concern was for the cultivation and retention of power? How could they miss the minor fact that the man they were condemning was innocent of anything deserving death? Why would I say that it is a gift that Palm Sunday robs us of the ability to legitimately and pridefully ask these questions of the people who put Jesus to death? How can something be a gift if it takes something away from us? It can only be so if it leaves something better in its place. My pride-filled scorn of the crowd was finally broken when I realized that, for one thing, I was basing my superiority on my comfortable place 2,000 years in the future, benefiting from the intervening 20 centuries of theological scholarship and development of church history and tradition. For another, I was able to see myself in the scene of Christ's passion. All modern Christians want to say that they wouldn't be part of the guilty ones who cried out, crucify him. The gospel account, however, makes plain that there are very few innocent alternatives to the crowd. What are those alternatives? We could be numbered with Pilate, aloof and disinterested in Jewish power struggles, except for how it might impact his assignment to keep the peace in Judea, amazed in the enduring silence of our Lord, but unwilling to make any move toward faith and truly speak out against the injustice. Alternatively, there is Herod Antipas, regarding Jesus as some kind of miracle-working curiosity. Or you could stand with the Jewish religious leaders who bought off people to rouse the crowd and spread rumors and false testimony. Perhaps you could count yourself with the soldiers to whom Jesus was just another dirt poor man from Galilee, another rebel who was shown to be nothing special. Where are the disciples? Peter is the last we see of any of the disciples in Luke's gospel by the time Jesus is condemned to death. And he denied any connection with Jesus as had been foretold earlier in the day. Other gospels say that they all went into hiding. And John's gospel says only one was bold enough to come to the foot of the cross, namely St. John himself. The people who are among the least culpable are among the guiltiest. Jesus had told them that these things would happen and that he would be raised up and glorified, yet they didn't believe him, and so they scattered as foretold in Zechariah, 
Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Their silence and desertion after Jesus' arrest was tantamount to the denial before men that Jesus had said would cause the Son to deny the unfaithful before the Father. In Luke's Gospel, only the women of Jerusalem mourn Jesus and raise a lament. And the only person to rebuke the scorn being heaped on him is one condemned robber to the other. But even some of the women may have been in the crowd, since Luke describes the voices raised in condemnation as the people, which would have included both men and women. The robber who who rebukes his fellow rightly admits that the two of them are being justly put to death, so he is not innocent before God on his own merits. In Luke's presentation of the whole tableau, there is no one wholly innocent, save for the man wearing a crown of thorns. As modern-day Christians, seeking to put ourselves in that first-century scene in Jerusalem, our choices are limited in roles to play. And in truth, not all Christians would be found in only one crowd. For myself, I believe that I would probably be with the disciples, cowering in a room, waiting for the soldiers to drag us out to be flogged, humiliated, and if we were lucky, stoned to death. Even today, I struggle with proclaiming Christ to a world determined not to hear about him. Palm Sunday calls us to examine our hearts and see where we would be in the list of the guilty. Because there is no option to stand on the sideline. And the one who was condemned and crucified was the only one innocent before the crowd. Unless you are able to accept the gift of being robbed of your pride, you will find great difficulty in finding true benefit from this or any other Eucharistic service. Today is the beginning of the observation of Holy Week in the Christian Church. If you are able to join us in the observation of the liturgies and rites this week, I strongly encourage you to do so. These are some of the heaviest, and most powerful prayers and services of the Christian calendar. The Maundy Thursday liturgy is one of the oldest collection of prayers in the Christian tradition. And the Maundy vigil calls you to join in the disciples' difficulty of staying in prayer for even one hour. Good Friday is the soberest and most solemn service of the whole, Christ- of the whole church year and confronts us with the cross of Christ, its scandal and our guilt. Finally, the Easter Vigil and Resurrection Sunday usher in the great feast of Easter, which brings us out of Lent and into the joyful celebration of the risen sun. This week, I pray that all of you, my brothers and sisters, would be mindful of your sins and seek repentance for anything you are truly sorry for, and continually thank God for the mercy shown to us in the willing sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Grace and peace in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.